Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Over a month after a Missouri House committee first approved a congressional redistricting map, a finalized map has still not made it to Governor Mike Parson's desk. The Senate is largely the reason for this delay, with members spending the entirety of last week discussing redistricting on the floor without agreeing on how Missouri's districts should be drawn. On this episode of Politically Speaking, I talk with Senator Brian Williams about not only the redistricting process, but the state of the Senate itself. We also discuss a bill that would have loosened the state's gun laws and the supplemental budget bill the House House recently passed. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter Sarah Kellogg. Joining me in the Jefferson City studio, he is the Assistant Minority Floor Leader in the Senate and represents the 14th District, which consists of part of St. Louis County. State Senator Brian Williams. Senator, first, thanks for joining us. Uh, before we get started, I'd love if you reminded our listeners about your district and who you represent. Well, I like to consider my district uh, a model for the state. I represent some of the wealthiest communities, but also some of the more poverty-stricken ones. So uh, my district goes roughly from uh, Highway 40, taking communities like uh, Clayton, University City, and then it goes north through the airport in communities like uh, Ferguson, where I grew up, and uh, north to the Missouri River. So let's get started. We have a lot to talk about. Overall, what's your impression of how session has gone so far? Well, it's been a roller coaster. Um, definitely an unprecedented session. Uh, a lot of um, fireworks uh, for the beginning of session. Usually, um, the grind that we're in now is is more towards uh, the latter part. So it's been very interesting. You know, with the veto session back in September, you know, it was longer than it needed to be. Do you think that was maybe an inkling of how things were going to go? Did that give you any kind of like feelings of of how twenty twenty two would be? Well, yeah, it gave us a little snapshot. I mean, for those who wasn't following, um, we pass a provider tax every year, which is called the FRA, which essentially brings um, um, several millions of dollars to our state for um, hospitals and, and healthcare institutions. And it was pretty much hijacked um, with um, issues that were pertaining to um, birth control. And uh, that kind of set the tone for uh, divisiveness a little bit. But I was hoping it was behind us, but clearly it's still kind of lingering on. So we're, you know, a little more than a month in. And when he was on the show just last week, Senator Caleb Brown said it's kind of normal to start slower in the Senate. Do you feel the same way? No, I, I think we're, we're, we're definitely moving slow in terms of um, how long we've been working on an issue. But it's it's been really just kind of kind of dragging on with redistricting is, is it's a really big issue as you know it's we only focus on it 
once every 10 years. So it's it's definitely, again, just been a, a very intense just process so far. And if this month is any indication, do you think much is going to get done this year? Well, you know, I'm still optimistic. You know, I, I think about, you know, every session is different and there's a lot of things we have to do. One of my priorities is is um, the federal money. Our state has $7 billion and there's no reason why we shouldn't be investing in our state, in particular the St. Louis region, to, to get our region in a better place than it was prior to the pandemic. You know, and, and is this kind of dysfunction or having the opposing party, you know, consistently at odds with each other, is that advantageous to Democrats? You know, does that is slowing the process down going to stop bills that, you know, you would maybe be opposed that aren't going to be heard on the floor? Well, uh, yes. But I, I would also say, you know, when I when I ran for office, you know, I was really just tired of seeing Democrats and Republicans fight each other in general. You know, everyday people have to work with folks they don't like and politics shouldn't be any different. But uh, it does kind of take the agenda uh, to the sideline to keep really bad things from happening, considering, um, you know, Democrats are in the minority party. So, you know, earlier in the session, a compromise was reached on amending the Senate rules that made it essentially tougher to end the filibuster. You know, how do you feel about this decision? Do you think it was a necessary olive branch um, between Republican leadership and Democrats? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, again, we should be able to work through things and, and, and get stuff done. So, you know, when you have these super majorities, in my opinion, it kind of creates this bullish attitude, and we've seen it at the national level. Um, there should be a, a a productive and, I think, balanced approach to policy and government, and I think that's what kind of moves us in that direction. So let's uh, – you mentioned it a little bit, but let's really get into redistricting. So I have to give a disclaimer right now. We are speaking on a Friday, which is a little unusual in the first place, um, and the reason why we're here could theoretically be resolved by the time this podcast airs, but – you know, the map hasn't been agreed to yet um, in the Senate all week, you know, has been focused on really this one thing, which is passing this congressional redistricting map. How do you feel this process is going? No, I think it's, you know, first, let's be clear. You know, I, I made it very clear that I think we should have a 5-3 map. Um, we have a 60-40 electorate in Missouri, so we should have balanced and fair maps. And that's where I stand today. Um, now there's been conversation about a, a 6-2 map. Um, we want to preserve uh, first uh, the district in, in Kansas City to ensure that uh, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver uh, maintains his district. And then we, all, we want to also make sure that we maintain a, a strong district in St. Louis. Um, you know, there, we want to make sure that there's fair representation. We want to make sure that it falls within the scope of the uh, voting, rights, uh, voting Rights Act. And, you know, again, we need to make sure fair maps, and, and that's where I stand on it. And Right now, um, I don't always feel that it's a fair map. You know, how have negotiations been going? Do you feel, as a member of the Democrats, you know, do you think that you've been heard through this process? Well, I, I think, yes, we, we've been heard because as a caucus, that's we make sure that presence is felt in the body. But I think it's been a lot of just, you know, the infighting among the Republican Party. Again, that supermajority really taking the focus of off policy and really their own you know, preference. And that's really kind of really sidelined the progress with this. Is there a situation where you feel maybe a compromise would have been reached earlier? You know, was there a way to avoid what has now been a full week of, of discussion over this map and filibustering over this map? Yeah, I was hoping that we got to a compromise a lot sooner. I mean, we're here on a Friday. Um, there's a strong possibility that we work through the weekend 
And, you know, that takes us away from our families, away from our districts. And, you know, again, I was hoping that we got a compromise, but, you know, I'm, I'm willing to stay in this as long as we need to to ensure that they're fair maps. We protect Kansas City. We protect uh, St. Louis. And again, um, if there's an opportunity to um, get a fair map for a third di- district, we should push for that. What do you think it'll take to, to come to an agreement here? Um, I think it'll I think, it, you know, eventually they'll get an agreement. I think we'll figure it out. But, you know, it's going to require folks really putting their egos to the side and and, you know, doing what's fair. And if we do a fair map based on the electorate, I think that we can get it done. If it's more of a partisan position of folks really wanting a district that caters to their their geographic area, then I think it's going to take the process longer. And, and that's what we've seen so far. A lot of the discontent is coming from the conservative caucus who are pushing for a 7-1 map, which doesn't really appear to have, you know, support from moderate Republicans, from Republican leadership. I know it doesn't have support from Democrats. You know, why do you think Senate leadership hasn't, you know, ended the filibuster in moments like this just to push this map through? Well, I think it sets bad precedent. And and again, you know, I don't remember or recall there being a situation where the majority party um, <clears throat> PQ'd its own party. But again, you know, I, I can't speak for what um, the Republican leadership is thinking. But, you know, as Democratic uh, leadership, I, I just want our caucus to stay focused on fair maps. And for our listeners, PQ stands for a previous question, which is what you do to to basically end a filibuster. Um, And I guess any other thoughts kind of on this map process? How how long do you think we're going to be here? Well, I don't know. But again, you know, I think I think the state deserves fair maps. And I cannot continue to stress that we've seen uh, political gerrymandering all over the country. We've seen what happened in Alabama. We've seen what happened in other states. And, you know, if we don't get it figured out, it could possibly go to the courts. And that's been a popular thing here in Missouri where we've punted so many really important issues to the courts. So I hope we get it figured out. I I hope that we truly make a decision based on a fair electorate and not um, partisan geographic um, preference. So I want to move on to um, this bill that was recently defeated in the committee. It was brought by Senator uh, Burleson and established a presumption of reasonableness in situations of deadly force. There was bipartisan action against it. You know, it died in committee. But I, I want to talk to you about it. So kind of what are your just thoughts on, on the fact that this bill was even brought up? First, um, it was by far one of the most offensive, insulting pieces of legislation I've ever seen. Um, I felt like it was a blatant attack on me. I felt like it was a personal attack on people who look like me. Um, you know, when I think about what happened down in Georgia uh, with Ahmad Arbery, had this law been in place, those gentlemen would have got off scot-free. Um, you know, it's, again, you know, I, I, I was very insulted, and it was a very offensive piece of legislation that I was strongly opposed to. And it did, you know, senators did vote against it in committee, ultimately, but there were some senators that did vote for it. Kind of what does that say for, for future bills? I mean, kind of what does that, how does that make you feel? Well, I mean, let's be clear. This was also a bill that law enforcement was strongly opposed to. Um, this would essentially legalize murder in the state of Missouri. And, you know, any bill that would legalize murder make um, life difficult for Missourians, make life difficult for um, law enforcement, that that is is not the direction we should be going in. And, you know, I, I, I spoke out very vocal about it because of the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, 
when I was elected to the Missouri Senate, I was the first black man to come here in two decades. And to think that there's been countless um, black men throughout the country who have lost their lives due to uh, folks who have chosen to to settle the score with um, with guns and, and violence, we, we cannot do that. But to take it even further, um, you know, in the city of St. Louis, we want to get guns off the street, not promote legislation that puts more guns on the streets. And what this bill would do, this bill would, would essentially give folks the right to, to, to legally murder someone without any consequence or, or any accountability. And uh, I, I, again, I'm strongly opposed to it, and I'm, I'm thankful for members of the committee that, that voted against that bill with me uh, to keep it from moving forward. You know, ultimately, you kind of alluded to this, but this bill had a lot of people speaking against it. You know, what were your thoughts on that testimony, not only from gun control advocates, but prosecutors, you know, police members? Yeah, I mean, it was it was made very clear when you have um, NAACP and and uh, members of, of law enforcement, prosecutors coming out saying this is uh, by far one of the most draconian pieces of legislation that we've ever seen. And to think that it was some members that didn't hear them is very concerning. But again, the majority did. And I was just grateful that we were able to kill that bill in committee and it not move forward. And this committee vote came the same week that the state Supreme Court heard arguments over the Second Amendment Protection Act or SAPA. You know, my question is, is there, you know, a limit to these gun bills? Do you think that line could be crossed depending on court appointments, you know, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think the line's already been crossed. And again, we need to strengthen our gun laws in Missouri. I mean, we've seen, um, even with the with um, the Second Amendment Preservation Act, I mean, that would nullify federal gun laws in the state of Missouri. We had a situation in uh, southeast Missouri where a, a gentleman had an assault, um, I'm sorry, an assault rifle and was was a convicted felon and arrested and turned around and sued the police department for confiscating his, his gun. That's how backwards the laws are here in the state of Missouri. And, and again, uh, we need to have stronger gun laws. We need to make sure that we're getting more guns off the street and not putting uh, guns in the hands of people who um, clearly shouldn't have them. With standard ground laws, others that broaden gun rights, do you feel like bills like these are kind of the next step of things that you're expecting to see? Is is this the last time you expect to see a bill like this? No, um, I think we'll continue to see it. And, and it's because, again, you know, the NRA has has has, I mean, just saturated a lot of states and really get their way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really important for members like myself to fight against the NRA, fight against uh, senseless gun laws and work to sh- strengthen our gun laws and get more guns off the street. And, you know, that's that's where our focus needs to be. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we're back on Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's State House and Politics Reporter, Sarah Kellogg. Our guest today is Democratic Senator Brian Williams, who represents the 14th District, which includes parts of St. Louis County. Let's get back into it. 
over on the House side, I know you've been kind of wrapped up with with this filibuster, uh, but some things have passed in the chamber and are headed your way. And there's kind of two things in particular I would like to talk about. You know, one is a proposed constitutional amendment that raises the number of signatures needed to get an issue on a ballot through the initiative petition process. It also raises the number of votes needed to pass it if it made it on the ballot. You know, I guess kind of what are your just initial thoughts on on this proposed amendment? The past previous election cycles, um, the voters have expanded Medicaid. We uh, legalized medical marijuana. We um, passed a um, an ethics reform bill, a law, to where we made it to where uh, lobbyist gifts were banned. And those are things we should have taken care of in the legislature, but we had to put them uh, on a ballot and voters made the decision. We should not be making it difficult for voters to um, to uh, really participate in a democratic process. And, and that's exactly what it would do. It would increase that threshold, and it would make it very difficult to get things on the ballot, and it would make it very difficult for uh, Missourians to participate in the democratic process. So I, I, I think it's infringing on that, and I think it's wrong. So, and I know it's it's risky asking to, to predict what the Senate will do, but uh, past attempts at this type of change have failed, and mainly when it gets to the Senate. Do you, do you see that happening again? Um. I hope so. And I'll tell you this. I I truly believe government works best when it's close to the people. And this is, um, in my opinion, just a a very out of bounds, out of touch, you know, proposal. So, you know, we've done some really progressive forward things in the state at the ballot box. And we haven't been able to do that here in the legislature. So to take that right away from the people would, in my opinion, would be a step in the wrong direction. If it were to somehow get through the legislature, you know, it still would need voter approval. And do you think it would be a a more uphill battle for people wanting this change? Because, you know, their their message, you know, might be, you know, help stop out of state interference. But ultimately, they are asking people to make it harder for them to have issues they want on the ballot. Do you think messaging is is easier for people that are going to be against it? Well, I can tell you this. I think voters are smart. And... um I think if you put something on a ballot, I think voters are going to make the right decision. Um, they've done it in the past, and I feel really good they'll do it in the future. The the other major thing that the House passed was a modified supplemental budget. It contains almost $2 billion in funding for schools, funding for Medicaid. It also has this modified raise plan uh, where not everyone would qualify for this new 15-hour you know, minimum baseline for state workers. You know, What are your thoughts kind of on the supplemental as a whole? Well, one, I think we should be really putting state employees and, and really um, everyone in the position to make a, a quality uh, wage. And, you know, to think that we're losing so many talented people here uh, at the state level because of minimal pay, they're, they're going to other jobs and pursuing other opportunities. Um, these are folks who work very, very hard and, and, again, make very minimal pay. So I think we should be doing everything we can to ensure the state workers are are getting paid for what they're worth. And, and I've always been just a strong advocate of a quality, um, livable wage. And I don't think anyone should work every single day and, and still have to live in poverty or, or pick between uh, paying their bills and, and being able to, to take care of themselves. It, it's just I think we should be putting our state and workers in a position to, to again, have a quality life um, and, not, and not hold them back with minimum wages. So what are the odds that the Senate sees this modification that the House made and goes, well, that's not what the governor wanted and just restores it back? Well, I think I think the governor is on the right side of this issue. And, and um, I hope um, the Senate goes with his recommendation and 
and increase the wages for hardworking state employees. So kind of what, and we'll broaden a little bit, kind of what are your thoughts on the governor's budget proposal in general? Are there things that you like? Are there things that you'd like to see, you know, more of? No, I think I I was very pleased with the governor's uh, recommendations. Uh, Again, I think that we should be investing as much as we possibly can into putting our region and and the state in a position um, than it was prior to the pandemic. And, you know, we have some really cool things we're excited about. Governor made a recommendation for $50 million for uh, a workforce um, expansion project at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, which is in my district. Uh, We're really excited about that. That's something that we've uh, taken the lead on uh, during the interim. And and I think there are some other projects that we're focused on that the governor's been receptive to. And again, we have $7 billion. And, you know, I think it's ironic that folks want to be vocal about um, the money that the Biden administration sent to the states. But at one point in time, we're strongly opposed to the president and, and these federal dollars. So it's again, it's, it's it's ironic and it's a funny irony to it. But again, we have a tremendous opportunity to do transformative things and and really put our state in a position um, that has never been in before. And speaking of that federal money, you know, it looks like that, you know, the money from the American Rescue Plan Act, it looks like that's going to be maybe a singular bill. What are some projects that you'll be advocating using that money for? You know, I'm sure there's things that you support already listed, but what are some things that you want to maybe add to or see more spending for? Well, again, that UMSL project is going to be huge. Uh, it's in the middle of a, a food desert. We have an opportunity to put a grocery store there, um, outpatient health care facility. It's roughly 36 acres, so they're moving the students to the north side of the campus. So we're very involved in that. Uh, I represent um, North St. Louis County. I think there's a tremendous opportunity to invest there, uh, which has been an underserved and and, um, overlooked part of the region. I think that there's an opportunity to do some really strategic partnerships with local government. Uh, We've been in extensive conversations with uh, St. Louis County as well as the municipalities to really uh, come together and and, um, do a shared funding model to, to do some investments. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, I don't represent St. Louis City, but I want to see downtown St. Louis safe and and make some cool investments there. We should be looking at North St. Louis City, figuring out how to invest there and and, and enhance the quality of life for people there. So, you know, I don't just think about St. Louis County and my district. I think we have an opportunity to really revitalize St. Louis in, in a really big way. And that's what I'm really focused on and working with anyone and everyone that's interested in that. So with the spending of the of this billions of dollars, you know, there's the argument of this is one-time money, it should be spent on one-time projects. And there's others that are saying, you know, no, if we invest these money in these projects, you know, maybe new projects that will save us money down the line or other, you know, projects that maybe would cost us but, you know, would be we'd be able to keep up with it. I kind of what's your thought on on spending this one-time money? Well, I think again, we have an opportunity, Sarah, to do transformative things. Um invest in a way that we look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and be extremely proud, see generations of of um, people benefit from these investments. And that's where our focus needs to be. Um, you get what you pay for. And if we want to see Missouri in a better place, we have to do everything we can, and that's by making strong and strategic investments. So, you know, we're a month in. What are some of your overall goals for session? we still got months. <laughs> Well, you know, we, we've been very, very fortunate. Last year, we passed a uh, sweeping um, criminal justice reform package, which um, dealt with police accountability, 
Um, we also changed the expungement law. So now we're focused on expungement clinics to get folks who may have made a mistake and paid their debt to society, get their records clean so they can go back into the workforce and get gainful employment. Uh, we also, in my bill, we passed uh, a provision that uh, allow prosecutors to um, um, vacate um, cases, and, and that led to uh, Kevin Strickland being released from prison after 43 years. Uh, we're focused on um, Lamar Johnson now in St. Louis being freed after a decade, um, two decades, I'm sorry. So, you know, we, we're, we're really just tied into that. This session we also filed legislation to uh, work with the Post Commission and the Department of Public Safety to uh, ensure that there's um, oversight of police officers that may um, commit crimes or, or do things when they're off-duty. Because right now, if off-duty officer was to commit uh, a crime, they could still keep their license. Now, if they were to do something off-duty, their license would be under investigation and potentially lose it. And uh, also, before I forget, we also, um, last year we didn't get it done. We came back with no-knock um, arrest warrants. And for those who aren't familiar with that process, in St. Louis County, we had a woman whose dog was shot and killed due to a uh, no-knock arrest warrant. So we want to do that as well. Do you see opportunities for <coughs> uh, bipartisan work on some of these bills? Well, it has to be. True. <laughs> we're, in True. Super, we're in a super minority, but we were able to get that. Like I said, again, we I passed a bill with bipartisan support that, you know, eliminated um, chokeholds in Missouri. And again, very progressive um, cr criminal justice reform. So I, I think we can get it done, hopefully. Yeah, I guess the question is, are you optimistic for, I'm <laughs> for very, working I'm very, with other I'm senators? very optimistic. And, and we've been fortunate to, to work in a bipartisan way to get things done. Anything else on, on the session? Well, you know, I'm hoping we get the maps done. And again, you know, it's 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 been a very interesting session, and and I'm I'm still optimistic that we can get some really strong things across the finish line. I think this money that we have uh, from the federal government, we should be really thinking how we invest it. And um, you know, I think the future is bright for Missouri if we get those things done. Well, thank you so much, Senator Williams, for joining me here at the Capitol Attic at the end of a long week in Jefferson City. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah K. Kellogg. That's two L's, two G's. Senator Williams, where can people find you on the Internet where you want to be found? Well, um, I can be reached a lot of different ways on Twitter. Brian Williams, M.O. That M.O. is from Missouri. Um, clearly on Facebook as well. And you can always reach out to my office. All right. Until next time. So long. a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.